What's up, guys? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Hot Waterfall. And today, I'm joined by the one and only Nikos Katsikanis, where we'll be discussing whether or not there's there's any saving the contract market within tech, because this year's been pretty tough on it. But I have to be honest, towards the end of this particular episode, we did get a bit sidetracked. We do go into some wider conspiracies about COVID and whatnot. And Nikos is a big proponent of freedom of speech. It's good to hear his thoughts, but also good to debate some other ideas. So I'll stop rambling. I'll let you start listening to this wonderful episode. And just so you know, there will not be an episode next Monday, purely due to Christmas, but there will be one the following Monday onwards. But anyway, kick back, relax, and enjoy. Today we're joined by Nikos Katsikanis. Yep, that's right, another guest with an incredibly exotic name. Not only is this man the first half-Greek, half-Glaswegian man that I've ever met, but he's also one of the most talented people that I know. After graduating from the University of Strathclyde with a degree in physics, Nikos made the switch to the tech industry as a full-stack engineer to work on a neuroscience project for the University of Wellington and has since never looked back. Since those days, Nikos has worked with some pretty sweet companies, including MoneyCorp, British Gas and Carphone Warehouse as a freelancer across the country. Most recently, Nikos has been training businesses of all shapes and sizes on how to get the best out of JavaScript and Svelte, and even founded his own company called MentorCV.com, which, as the name suggests, matches mentors with mentees together to help bring the best out of people. Most people would probably stop there, but to top it all off, Nikos also hosts his very own podcast with some of the most weird and wonderful guests you can possibly imagine, including myself, and it's something that I'd highly, highly recommend you guys check out after this episode. First of all, Nikos, I need to ask you this question, and I always ask it to all of my guests. How accurate was everything that I just said? A thousand percent. Hell yeah. That's the first <laughs> time I've got it right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you happy with that summary? Does that make you feel good about yourself? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, actually, MoneyCop was my my perm- a permanent job. I had it for four and a half years. Well, it wasn't right then, was it? I was wrong. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I was a freelancer. I wish I was a freelancer when I left uni, but um, <laughs> I, had to, I had to do my time in permadom. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. See, what, you've been freelancing since, what year was that? What, like uh, 2012? Yeah, 2014. Oh, okay. So six years non-stop freelancing. Yeah, well, actually real freelancing this year, but like contracting the last five years. Right. Cool. The government likes to look at it. Indeed, indeed. Well, um, well, listen, it's great to have you all, uh, as a guest. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of your podcast, and we've done a few episodes before, so I know this is going to be great. And uh, as I said to you before we went live, the first part is, is all about quick-fire questions. It's about getting to know you rapidly, I like strong opinions, and I'm always going to ask you why. So, are you ready? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I want to say I'm so honoured. You're the first person to ever have me on a podcast. Well, mate, let's let's make it a good one. Let's let's make it so you now become a professional podcast guest because well, I, I think yes. you'd be sick at it. But anyway, let's get into it. So, question number one: startups or corporates? Uh, corporates. You're the first person to say that. I love it. Okay, why? Well, it depends on what. Kind of, as as a contractor, I prefer working for corporates, but as a freelancer, startups. Okay. Because what, what? like 
Well, how would you differentiate if, being a freelancer and a contractor? If you're a contractor in like a startup, you're like you're like just like a, a monkey, and they want you to come and sit and produce bananas, right? Mm -hmm. But if you like have your own clients and you're freelance and you have a relationship, it's a much more uh, laid back kind of atmosphere because like the, the startups I've worked at as a contractor, there's problems, there's always problems, and they, they should just hire parent people. The contract, the big corporates, it's much more laid back in, in terms of just like. Okay. professionalism yeah startups contractors means something went wrong okay so it's like for you the definition uh, if you're a contractor you work directly for one client if you're a freelancer you do projects for lots of different companies at yeah. the same time cool yeah yeah and i have yeah. I, and i work with some startups and i enjoy it it's fun work because it's like also per quite personal relationships and uh, yeah it's like advising them basically it's more control, it's more control as yeah. you know it's so startups are easier to advise corporates are much better to work for because I'm guessing startups just work you to the bone, whereas corporates is as just... a contractor, yeah, it's been horrible. Yeah, jeez, yeah. man. Fair enough, fair enough. So, if you could only use one programming language for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh dear me, um, I really like C sharp, but it's like very, very specific to just Microsoft. So, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I can't really say that. So, I have to say, I have to say, JavaScript. I knew you were going to say that, mate. I know, man. But, well, I know. Any, any library in particular that, that you, you're wedded to? I've seen you've been working with Svelte um, quite a lot recently. Well, actually, Svelte is good because it produces vanilla JavaScript that you can semi-understand. So, in a sense, Svelte is... is, is uh, it uses vanilla JavaScript to generate vanilla JavaScript, if that makes sense. Um, okay, this one uh, I think you'll be more passionate about. So, if you could delete one programming language from existence, what would it be? Um, the only one I've got in my head is Visual Basic because I listened to the last podcast, but that's, that's <laughs> not going to come from me, right? So what would I delete? Uh, I, I once had a shot of um, Borderland Delphi and it used something called Pascal and I got really tired of writing like end, if, and if statements, whereas you could normally use, you normally use a curly bracket. So my university teacher wouldn't like that because he's wrote everything he ever basically made in Pascal, but um, never, probably never even heard Portland of it. Delphi, Pascal, yeah. yeah. Next question: What's the app you spend the most time on? Uh, let me pick up my phone. Well, in, in what time frame are you talking about here? Just, just for not work related, is is the only probably the people. Apple stocks app. Why? Yeah, because uh, I'm on the stock market and oh. uh, invested in things like Norwegian Airlines, which went up eighty percent the other day and then dropped <laughs> the last fifty percent the last two days, and I felt really silly for not selling it at one one Norwegian crone. I can imagine that gets really addictive as well. It's like constantly checking the oh, stock market. Oh, it's horrible, market. man. It's not as bad as crypto. That is, that is a worse because there's no break from it. It's 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, cool. Next question. Will technology kill off the need for recruiters? Um, no. Absolutely not. Why not? Because every time I get sent to a, a portal for finding jobs and, you know, adding your, your CV to some generic website that there's some data analysis to it, you know. I just, I just can't stand it. Um, I, I have people, I have people joining my Discord servers and, and posting links to their job board, and I basically just warn them or ban them. I'd rather deal with the person. Uh, all, all the good contracts that I've, I've got are been people like yourself phoning me up that I've never heard of at the time, and mm -hmm. and I got to talk to me about contracts. Um, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Makes perfect sense. Uh, next question: uh, What's the best part about your job? Um, at the moment, I'm doing a lot more remote working, which means that I get to see family around the world that I don't often see as much. Um, but when 
when contracting was still alive, it was nice, stayed steady, stable income allowed me to have a property in London um, because it was just consistent work there. And um, no one, it's it's a bit different now. It's, it's more remote working, but also you can reduce your your living expenses by not having mm-hmm. to pay rent in London all the time. Yeah. You know? Cool. What's the worst part about your job? Um, people wanting to sign NDAs and it's just like why you know um, really is, is it common to sign NDA uh, it's kind of like the more NDAs you sign the more legal exposure you have so like mm. I, I've been talking to a few freelancers and, and asking what they think of NDAs and most of the time they're actually really against it so uh, if you're thinking of hiring a developer person listen to this then think about your NDA if it's really needed mm-hmm. you know um, yeah Fair enough, man. Fair enough. One piece of advice you'd give yourself at the start of your career? Get a mentor. <laughs> Use mentorcv.com. Gun fingers. <laughs> I mean, seriously, seriously, it cost me three, four years of my professional development because I was just faffing around with Flash and Cold Fusion, which is like dead technology. Mm-hmm. And I had to relearn everything on JavaScript. Yeah. Again, um, it's just the hands down the best thing you can possibly do. Yeah. Find a mentor. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, next question is one interesting fact about you that you would never put on your CV. Well, I'm I'm doing music production now, and I'm also doing like writing a sci-fi novel, but I don't not going to put that on my tech CV. Yeah, but it's on your LinkedIn profile, the the sci-fi one. So that technically is, is on your CV. Yeah, it is, mate. I, um, I was talking your profile earlier. Interesting fact. Apart from that, uh, I think ma- I, I think marrying a Ukrainian woman is quite an interesting fact. Yes. How many? How many people can say they've married a woman from Ukraine? That that shit is goals, man. Can a few people have done that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What are they using? Like a certain dating app to, to find these women? <laughs> Go to this, the Ukrainian <laughs> church, churches or coffee shops, man. <laughs> Noted. Okay. Finally, um, this this one is is the most recent addition to this section. I'm still playing around with whether or not I like it, so I'm gonna ask it anyway. You're hosting a dinner party and you can only invite three people from history. Who would you choose and why? Dang. Um, probably some, I'd probably invite some dictator. Okay, like who? Um, I'll get in trouble if I say this. I was thinking it was the other day. Maybe Hitler or, or Stalin. Okay. And then uh, who else? Some John Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, he kind of recently, recently died. And, and then somebody else that would basically challenge the dictator. So you'd want to invite oh. you'd want to invite a dictator purely just, so just, people just, could just, like roast him. And yeah, just, pretty much. Yeah, because I want to see the dynamic, you know, like yeah. And some somebody really upstanding, you know, that did a lot of good in the world. Well, like Martin Luther but, King, uh, Mother Teresa, probably John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Hitler, and um, I don't know Sean Connery or something like that. I feel like Sean Connery would be a really weird addition to that. For those of you who don't know, Sean Connery is an actor. And you're bringing him yeah. with, with one of the presidents of the United States and Hitler. If you don't know who he is, then uh, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, but cool. Fair enough, man. So we now move straight into the topic. We, we go deep and we go fast here on In Hot Waterfall. Um, and I'm going to give you guys some context before we go into the topic. Because today is, is all about the contract market and, and freelancing within the UK. So first and foremost, according to City AM, 52% of tech businesses in the UK prioritise survival during Q2 and Q3 of 2020. Now, although this isn't a huge surprise, I have to emphasise that this year has been incredibly tough on businesses of all shapes and sizes, which has led them to save cash wherever they can. 
whether it's not paying recruitment fees, making redundancies, or putting as many people as possible on the furlough scheme, survival has been the only goal for them. With that in mind, when a business is trying to survive, it has to focus on cutting the biggest costs, which in this case are contractors slash freelancers. Within the IT industry, 10.5% of all employees in 2019 were paid on a daily rate between 300 per day and 1500 per day, and sometimes even more. Why wouldn't they cut such an expensive resource, right? However, the freelance market has proven time and time again to have some seriously elite talent, which can help a business truly explode from a success perspective. So on today's podcast, we'll be exploring how the contract market has been impacted by that pesky virus, and more importantly, what the future of freelancing looks like within the tech industry. So, firstly, Nikos Katsikanis, what would you say are the primary differences between a perm and a contract employee within the tech industry? Well, the contractor is more exposed to risk, has less employment rights, has to have his own accountant, has to have multiple insurances, um, there's no paid holidays, there's no sick leave, there's no pension paid into you automatically, there's no... Um, private insurance uh, those are the kind of things so but then you're probably getting paid double the other person mm -hmm. but then you got to subtract off the uh, non-polity pay and other benefits but um, typically you as a contractor after you look at all the things you're not getting you're, you're earning between 20, 20 and 30 percent mm -hmm. of what you could earn as, a, as an employee okay so essentially 30% more overall yeah so essentially the, the primary differences are that perm employees get benefits, pension, etc., etc. Yeah. Contractors just get a day rate. So there's no of the extra perks yeah. whatsoever. It's just a certain amount of money per day, and that is it. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think the other things to, to note are that perm employees, they, they are salaried, right? And they have notice periods. They have more job security. Whereas a contractor, yeah. they can be fired and have one day notice and they'll have to leave instantly and they've got no employment rights whatsoever. So there's definitely lots of pros and cons between one another, but I think it's an important distinction before we go into the topic. So let's go straight into it. According to Stack Overflow's annual developer survey, which I would highly recommend everyone check out, it's so, so informative. Uh, and the way that they lay it out means that it's a ton of information that you can digest so easily. Um, according to the Stack Overflow's annual developer survey, the contract market in the UK has shrunk by just under 1% in the past 12 months. Are you surprised about that? Just under 1%? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they, are they smoking the gang, ganja or something like that? Like cocaine? <laughs> they, they, they can say 80%, and I'll, I'll say that's better. No, it's 80 a... to 50%. So it's gone from 10.5% uh, of people identify as contractors within the UK tech market. That was in 2019. And in 2020, it's 9.6%. So yeah, just oh, under 1%. Oh, right. It's who they, who they identify as. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not surprised? Because <laughs> um, I, I thought it would be more. No, because uh, actually I thought I thought it was more than 10% or 9%. I thought it'd be like 20 to 30%. No, apparently not. Well, I mean, look, look at it my way. Well, I, I'm, I don't really believe in the people relying on the government too much for support. Mm -hmm. So the way I looked at all that, all my earnings was like, I have to prepare for a rainy day. Mm -hmm. And um, I, so when the contract market came, when this COVID thing hit, uh, I wasn't under a lot of pressure to just keep working at a reduced day rate. 
So I basically told a lot of people to get lost. I mean, and I'll just, but I just built a start up with um, my savings, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, the good, the best developers are, are will not reduce their rates. And I don't really like using the word best, but those that that are that were produced a lot of value mm-hmm. and they had a lot of work, then I think those those guys and girls are not under pressure. So basically, all the companies out there that are reducing the money. Or again, all the people that are don't that need to work that maybe had less work, and so maybe they they were harder to employ or, or contracting. So I didn't I didn't change my rates at all. I just didn't work, you know. Yeah. So it's what as a contractor you would rather not work than take a reduced day rate. Yeah, exactly. I'm, my value has get it get increases every day. It doesn't go down because some external factor, you know. I think what I've have seen from my side of things is that more and more contract engineers have now taken permanent jobs because typically contractors do have more impressive experience because they've worked at more firms and seen different environments, etc. So first of all, how uh, do you see that lasting in terms of contractors going permanent or do you think there is going to be a huge um, shift from those permanent employees then going back to contracting, which is ultimately going to leave a lot of businesses short on talent again. Well, I think what it's really done is it separated contractors that are employee mentalities and contractors who were entrepreneurs, but this time didn't have the, the guts to go full entrepreneurship. So that for me is the best thing is that it's forced me to the pressure of this COVID and it was a lot of pressure because I was just was not taking 40% off my day rate or 30% off um, just, 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 just to be competitive. I'm not trying to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's forced, the pressure has forced us contractors who are entrepreneurs at heart to become full entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And that's the, way, that's the way I look at it. People that are, were never really proper businesses or had a business talent, it's, it's forced them back to Permium. And that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's actually good for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'll, I'll probably triggering a lot of people listening to this, but that's, that's just how it is. <laughs> but do, do you think that these, these people, so without that entrepreneurial spirit, as, as you put it, they will go back to just contracting again, though? Or do you think now they'll just no, find the, their the home? No, the market is dead in the UK. The government has absolutely killed it. There's no, there's no, there's no, bounce, there's no coming back. Short term political gains, IR35, and, um, the companies are already looking to cancel people, um, contractors, or move them over to all these umbrella company nonsense mm-hmm. before the COVID thing hit, and uh, the contract industry won't 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 be won't be anymore after after me. So, for anyone listening that doesn't know what IR thirty five is, basically, it's um, a scheme the government have introduced from um, April twenty twenty one. Originally, it was April twenty twenty which essentially doubles the tax that a freelancer has to pay. Is, is, is that an accurate summary? Yep. So, yeah, it goes from, I think, 20% ballpark to about 40%. So they're trying to align permanent tax and freelance tax. But the argument is that if you're a, a contractor, you don't have any employment benefits, you don't have a pension, you don't have all these things. So why should you pay the same amount of tax as someone that does have all of these perks, ultimately? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a, a very, very fair point. I guess... The the thing about the what I've seen so far of, of the contract market is that, you know, like I said earlier, businesses have been desperately trying to survive. 
They've been cutting costs wherever they can. But ultimately, because a lot more contractors are going perm, it means that their direct pipelines in terms of hiring good talent is better than ever. Like most businesses I know, even if they're struggling financially, will still have job ads out and they'll still be interviewing people and still trying to onboard people. So do you think with that in mind that the contract market can can recover with the amount of people willing to go permanent right now? And and if you don't think it can recover, then what do you think could change which could get people back towards contracting? Does that make sense? I, I just don't see a way the contracts can bounce back unless you remove this I-35 thing because so many, most of the big companies that use contractors are like the banks and all that stuff. They're not one of risking a tax hit that's 20 to 30% on top of the contracting day rate. Mm-hmm. So um, basically all the people that can't be, this government's definition of a proper business are going to be working permanent and, and they're not going to like it because most of the contractors don't like the whole things that go, go along with permeate like, you know, um, you know, performance, performance reports and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Contractors like going in, fixing a problem and fucking off basically. Yeah. I mean, the, the, so there's a couple of things I want to touch on. So first and foremost, I'm, I don't share the, the outright negativity um, that, that you have in terms of like, saying the the contract market won't recover because i think there's there's a bit of a gap there where the the market can still thrive and i'd love your thoughts on this if if i'm wrong um so ir35 doesn't apply to small businesses usually of businesses underneath 50. in my experience and and again i predominantly work with startups so I'm, i'm going to be biased here but most contractors i've seen tend to join earlier stage businesses and that's purely because when they're building out their MVP, which is you know the essentially the, the first version of, of their product for anyone that doesn't know, then you need talent quickly and you need people to build it as best as possible. That's why you'd bring in a contractor. Mm. And even today, mm. I had a call with a business who have just raised you know a few hundred thousand pounds. The first thing they did was hire two contractors, so one front end, one back end to scale out their product. So I think from that perspective, when you look at the amount of um, the amount of entrepreneurs out there. So you you said earlier that a lot of contractors are now investing in themselves and their business. When that business starts getting up and running, which will be, you know, in the next three, six, nine, twelve months, the chances are they're gonna need more support and they'll need more resources because I think startups will start to grow quite rapidly again because a lot of them did go under during the pandemic. So um do you think that that startups are enough to keep the contract market alive in terms of that initial building out process? Yeah, MVPs is what I actually like to build. I like products that come from the start, but sometimes startups that I've went into, mm-hmm. the code base is an absolute mess and hard to work with, and that's what makes it painful to, to do. Um, I'm in the fortunate position, I'm the CTO of my own startup, mm-hmm. and um, I know what the code base needs to make it scalable and, yeah. and easy to deploy and stuff like that. So I have good practices that I don't have to have uh, you know, I can be quite flexible. I can just basically hire freelancers for 40 hours or, you yeah. know, ongoing contract with them. But mm-hmm. you know, I, when I was preparing for this episode, um, I was, you know, kind of writing things out in my own head about, you know, the direction of the conversation. And, and you know, usually when I'm recording things, something random pops up, which, you know, I'm almost like, shit, why have I never thought of that? And I, I've had a similar thought today 
because although the COVID situation has, has been bad for pretty much every business across the country and, and across the world, I, I've asked myself, okay, why is this affecting the contract market so heavily? Because like you say, you know, hiring a contractor, they're very good, they're available very quickly. You know, they, they do things to a very high standard. There's no, you know, national insurance. There's no benefits. Like if I was a, a, uh, an early stage business or even a business that needs some support, I'd hire a contractor because ultimately I can fire them in three months and there's no problem. Whereas a permanent employee, I, I have to manage them out of the business effectively because of employment rights and things like that. So that led me to think, okay, well, if it's not the cost side of things that has led to the decrease in, in the contract market, and there's definitely been one, no doubt in my mind at all, is what could it be? Um, before I give you my answer, what do you think are the other factors at, at play for the decline outside of, of COVID and, and outside of IR35? Do you think there are any, or is it predominantly down to just those two factors? Uh, immigration? <laughs> in, in what sense? Well, the I've worked for some big companies, and basically, they have like deals with certain other countries, and they'll basically instead of hiring local people, they'll be like eighty or ninety percent of people in that room outside of the UK. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's 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 immigration factors there that are taking a lot of jobs away from UK people, like as well. We're thinking on similar terms because the the answer that I was, I was going to give and the one that I thought of earlier was that I don't think it's it's COVID and IL35 which is going to butcher the contract market. I think it's remote working. And ironically, that was your favorite part of the job. But I personally think the introduction of remote working will be the reason the contract market continues to yeah. fade. Yeah. Because ultimately, mate, you're, you're right in what you say. So... Let's, let's compare, so if you think of the, the previous podcast that, that I did with Jason, right? So mm-hmm. he was saying, okay, if I'm hiring a fully remote team, why don't I just hire someone in Portugal where the cost of living is much cheaper? And why don't I just outsource to a different location? So for example, why don't I go and find talent specifically in India, for example, where again, the cost of living is even cheaper than, than in Europe. And I think that shift of companies moving fully remote is going to cause ultimately people or businesses to start looking for talent in cheaper locations because they they're not bothered about being contractors or having a day rate they're not bothered about having london salaries or uk salaries they're bothered about fucking surviving man they they just want to feed their their families because there there aren't as many opportunities there you know yeah for junior to medium level that is the case those are the jobs that are going to move remote Mm -hmm. but for specialist stuff the prices stay the same. I, I, I'm not working in London anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working from Scotland in, in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my rates have increased, and the, the spe- I've seen rates in Pakistan 140 dollars an hour for specialist skills. People, when you need a specialist skill, you don't care about location. And I, honestly, when I'm when I was working for a startup recently, and they were wanting developers, um, honest, the price and location. It didn't matter because I was they were getting the same kind of quotes from from like Czech Republic, from Belarus, from um, I don't think we went to the UK because we knew it was going to be overpriced. And that's that's a shame. It is it is you the junior to medium jobs. Yeah, it's you you can all developers mm-hmm. you're competing with all these countries, but the specialist stuff mm-hmm. that is is um, the, the prices have go, go stay the same or go up. 
Mm. Okay. So so let's come, let's talk about remote working then just within the UK because um, the contract market is very very popular or was very popular in you know just the the London sphere, right? So I'd say the contract market in London at least 25-30% of engineers or people in the tech industry are contract easily, right? But now with the introduction of remote working, mm-hmm. even if we just open it up to the rest of the UK, people are now having opportunities that they've never had before in terms of being able to earn more money. But bearing in mind, if a contract is day rate, so on average, let's say, for example, we're looking for a JavaScript specialist like yourself. We're looking 500, 600, 7 pound, or 700 pounds a day. Alternatively, now with the introduction mm-hmm. of remote working, you could go up to, for example, Manchester as a tech hub where there are some awesome JavaScript people where the contract market doesn't really exist. Like it's it's like very, very small, apart from a few like businesses who are known for hiring lots and lots of contractors. So now mm-hmm. businesses have access to people who, even if they're paying the very top rates, for example, of a Manchester salary, which is like 70, 80K, it's still significantly cheaper than a contract rate of 400, 500, 600 a day. So I think now yeah. with that remote working, even when we ignore the international side, which is going to be a hugely growing factor in the next 48 or 24 to, to 48 months, then it's like, okay, there's still a huge problem for the contract market that there is way more talent which is now accessible to us than has ever been before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but a lot of the people that were, most of the contractors were in London and most of the skills were actually probably in the contractors within London at the time. So there's a very big lag and reluctance for them to go up and work for these reduced rates because there's still those rates out there. It's just there's, there's more competition for them. Like, like I said, the ones that can afford not to work are not going to work for lower rates and they'll, they'll, they'll innovate. So basically most of the companies that want to get, if you want to reduce the day rate, you're going to get mediocre developers mm-hmm. compared to what? Maybe, well, actually... And I was once talking to a tech leader of a big company and he says, look, if the developer's good enough, it's good enough. And if, if you can get good enough developers for that reduced day rate, then all the best to you. That's mm-hmm. fine. The best thing about the COVID situation, in my opinion, is that it's allowed for um, the spreading of wealth across the country. So, for example, um, rent in London year on year is down about 9% from this time last year to this time now. 9%, which average rent in London's usually between like 1,000 and 2,000, right? So that's down by about 100 to 200 pounds a day, which is huge. It's the biggest drop yeah. we've ever seen. Yeah. But everywhere else in the country, rent is going up. And it's only 0.1% here, 0.2% here. But it's because people are leaving London and the wealth is starting to spread, which I think is an awesome thing. Like I'm from a very yeah. poor area in the Southwest. Now there's more wealth there because people like me, for example, I can go back there Christmas. I can spend a bit longer there if I want to because I'm working remotely. So I now have that wealth. The, the same salary goes into the same bank account on the same day, but I'm spending a lot less money because everything's cheaper. Even if I go for a gin and tonic, a gin and tonic where I'm from is two pounds, right? On a night out, two pounds. That's it. Two pounds. And I go to London, I'm spending 13, 14. Exactly the yeah. same drink. Exactly the same glass, exactly the same brand, right? And there's a twelve pounds difference on average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that spreading of wealth, I think, is hugely positive for the economy yeah. generally. But obviously, it doesn't outweigh the the fucking nightmare that this year has been across the board. Oh, but mate, that's just horrible, but year, man. Going back to my original point about like the remote working side of things. Again, if I'm working from Somerset, 
It makes no difference to the employer, uh, employer but if they're going to hire someone who happens to live in Somerset, are they going to go, well, if you look at the cost of living, it's actually a lot cheaper there. I'm going to offer you 5K less. Or even if they're a contractor, okay, you want 500 a day, but you're in Somerset rather than London, okay, I'm going to offer you 350 a day. They're now going to start saving money appropriately, which ultimately is going to mean the contract market isn't be worth doing because if a contractor is taking a hit from £500 a day to £350 a day, they may as well go permanent on a 60k salary because it's about the same but get all the employee benefits as well so i think it's that remote working that's been brought in which is subtly killing off the contract market but i don't think many people are aware of it and bearing in mind we're just talking about the uk market as soon as we bring in you know these international areas as well where the cost of living is you know a tenth of our costs even in places like pakistan or like i said earlier india or romania or, or portugal wherever across the country it's saying like fuck there is a potential problem here. And, and I take your point about people paying for specialisms, but you then have to weigh, you know, the idea of getting in a specialist versus getting in a team for exactly the same price. So maybe it's a case of bringing on a freelancer. So like what you're doing, coming in once a week, you know, upskilling these people in, you know, remote poorer areas to get them as specialized as them, which in theory sounds great and, and sounds easy. I know it's a lot harder in practice, but Again, do you, do you get what I mean? I, I really think it's a factor which is being downplayed. Well, a, a specialist isn't going to cost as much as a whole team, but maybe maybe he'll be twice as expensive as, as, as the, the, the other most expensive developer. Yeah. Bearing in mind the specialist, like, for example, one thing that I'm doing is because I built a social network in Svelte and I'm an adopter of Svelte, I already have a whole bunch of templates and experience and things I can copy and paste around. And I have a full stack stuff as well. So basically, I can say to the client, look, we can get you a real-time chat and I can basically I can basically cannibalize it from my social network because I own the IP and I just have a, have a contract in the, in the, in the, when I'm talking to the freelancers and I still own the, the stuff. So basically, I can't just copy-paste my own code and then you say you own it. You have to be, you have to be um, legally astute when you become a proper freelancer. Freelancer. Um, because bearing in mind everything we've discussed so far, so, you know, the, the remote working, the amount of people switching to permanent lifestyle and so on and so forth. What do you think the future of the contract market looks like? I mean, it's supposedly it's picking up, but I'm getting a whole bunch of nonsense coming over the phone right now. I'm getting, a, getting recruiters calling me, this client's got this thing, and, you know, and they say, look, we'll set up. And I've not had an interview for a client for, well, let me think now. Five months, but lots of recruiters kind of call me and get me. Maybe they expect me to reduce my data, but I've got plenty of freelance work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I, I just think the, the contract market has just died. I've not had one interview in five months with a client, a, a contracting client, right? And I've got, but I've had quite a few recruiter phone calls. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I do not, not do not have a clue what is going on here. Yeah. Okay, but realistically, right? The IL thirty five situation, they will extend it because they've got a furlough scheme until March. If if they bring in IR35 now, that's going to lead to even more of a dip in, in employment. It's going to butcher even more people's lifestyles. And honestly, the the conservatives right now, not to get into party politics, they need all the support they can get from, from any area of the country, right? So to bring in a policy like that will just turn public opinion against them even more so. So I think IR35, that'll be extended by another year. Admittedly, it's not ideal. It'll be brought in eventually, but I don't think in, in 2021. After that, I think, you know, you have more startups which have started hiring again. Like hiring is on the rise. Businesses are trying to build out 
more and more products and ultimately remote working hasn't fully come into shape yet so i think there is potential for the contract market i don't think it's dead right now i think it's had a tough year but do you think anything can can save it or do you think it is fully done and dusted and if so do you think the future just looks like everyone being a permanent employee i don't know if the uk can bounce back and this debt that we're in right now Mm -hmm. we've basically trained the country to depend on handouts versus where we should have had a tree everybody in the uk should have had a war chest to go one year without having a job mm-hmm. what did they do in world war Two? did they have handouts when world war Two happens no people were taught from early age to save and have to go through crisis so we have a basically a, a hand a month paycheck to paycheck generation i don't think it's realistic to ask people to have a war chest though because honestly man i think you know it as well from from you know renting the place in in london of the cost of living is is a madness up and down the country and so i think having enough money to survive off of even for a few months it's just impossible for for most people we work in an industry thankfully that you know we're, we're pretty well paid that we're, we're pretty set up do you know what i mean whereas if you compare it to most people even like throughout the hospitality hospitality sectors and so on and so forth where it's like it's impossible to have that reserve fund so I, I get what you mean, but... But how did they manage in World War Two? They had the war for four years. They didn't have bit, bit handouts that the government's doing right now. I know, but also a ton of people died, mate. Like, people were out on the streets dying, and they were surviving off of, like, bread. Like, the again, the, the lifestyle back then, they survived. They didn't have handouts. Or some survived, but the vast majority of people were financially crippled to the point of, of hunger and, and desolation. Like, it was... I know you're, what you're saying. Like the the government yeah. right now is is probably handing out too much, but, but at the same time, you feel like they're going to be they're punishing the contractors because they bring in the most money, so they're just going to tax them even more. So they're going to push this IR35 policy through even faster. Yeah, I, I think it's coming through. It's coming for yeah, coming for us. Cool. Fair enough, man. So do you think anything can can save it at all, or do you think everyone is just going to be no. a permanent employee? I mean, if I, have, if I haven't had an interview with a client for five months and i've had about 30 odd phone calls from recruiters and emails um i mean not, nothing's i mean i'm using the same cv that i was using to get plenty of interviews before covid hit yeah um and even when i in fact i was looming so i mean i hang a lot around contractor forums and they're all saying the same thing it's finished man it's finished they had a covid type thing back in this I think it's sixties or seventies. People don't really know about it, so it wasn't much panic. Yes, a lot of people died, but it was just a serious, like a serious flu. So, I mean, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories and all that stuff, but I have a lot of strong opinions on this stuff, you know. Do you, Do you think COVID is a conspiracy? No, I don't think it's. I think I mean I know personally people that are sick. I know people right now that are close to me that are sick. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but you know, we have to we have to just get on with life. We can't just hide in a corner. And, and wait for his vaccine to come out because, you know, it's... it's... Well, let's go a tiny little bit into conspiracy theory right now. There's a new law today that says that social media companies are responsible for harmful content. You know, obviously there's stuff that we cannot allow that's bad, like, you know, pornographic stuff you know, with children and or just, like, gory material. But now they're saying anything that's harmful. But who decides what is harmful? And for me, conspiracy theories, we don't just allow them not to be broadcast. We allowed, we have to have, just have to have discussion, allow these ideas to come out on the show. There was a David Icke video that was banned, right? How many people go and watch that now on banned.video to see what he said? And I could pretty much, you know, come against the 5G thing 
what, what he was saying that causes the virus, but it's quite easy from a physics standpoint. We shouldn't hide from discussion. And that's what the government's trying to control, almost stop police in the UK now, the social media comments, and you can't have harmful content. And it's a slippery slope to thought police, man. Independent thought. I think independent thought and training people to think independently is under, is under threat. And that's what worries me is we're not going to be able to resist, you know, draconian policies that come out. Cool, dude. I, I think we've covered the fuck out of that topic. I think I think we're done. <laughs> it's been good, man. I enjoyed I, it. I, I think it's a case of that uh, we both agree the contract market is in some trouble. I'm yeah. I'm a little bit less pessimistic than you are, but I'm also more pessimistic in the sense of I think short term the contract market will be okay. The long term, I think it's it's completely screwed with the introduction of remote remote working across different countries. So. It's, it's been really interesting, man. And now we're going to move on to the final section. The okay. final section, uh, again, I say it a lot, but you should have some good fucking stories here, especially on the first question. So let's get straight into it. Oh, what is the worst experience that you have had as a candidate? What do you mean by a candidate? Like so, a you're inter- yeah, so you're interviewing for a job to join a company oh, yeah. as either like a this- full-time employee or yeah. a contractor. I went to this company and... Uh, I had to go in the tube to get there, right? So I've already sacrificed my day. And I get to the office and I've got my suit on and everything. And I sit down and the the, the team, the tech people didn't even come through the locked door. They just sent this some some minion to, and handed me an NDA and says, yeah, read that and sign that. So I sat there for the next 10 minutes. But a minute later, I already said, I'm not going to sign this NDA because it's just, just to have a privilege of talking. I'm not going to sign your NDA. You're not even, you're not Facebook, you know. <laughs> you have to, but basically the, the person comes back out and says, okay, have you, have you signed it? And I goes, I'm not signing this NDA. Um, and he says, okay, bye-bye. And I said, okay, bye-bye. And I threw you out? No, I, I threw myself out. Disrespect, you know. Yeah, NDAs are a tricky one because uh, some of them are worded very aggressively as well. Yeah. Like some, it's, it's very ambiguous. It's like you can't tell anyone that you know something about a specific project, but there's no specificity whatsoever. It's like you can't tell anything, anyone about a project. It's like, okay, but what type of project? Like it's really, really lucendous. So if anyone doesn't know, an NDA is a non-disclosure agreement. So it's if you sign this piece of paper, anything you discuss on that day in the interview, you cannot talk to about anyone else whatsoever. And do you know what? This, this leads me on nicely to, to a separate point, is when signing the NDA in an interview process, which I already think is, you need to be very delicate with it, but does that mean you can't leave a glass door review? Like, if you have a shit interview, does that mean that because you signed the NDA, that you can't put anything in public about your experience? Because yep. technically you'd have, I mean, surely there would be a clause in NDA, most NDAs are fucking sneaky, where... Yeah. Even saying that you've interviewed with this business, they could sue you, right? Well, usually they'll say, like, there's, there's important causes that they have to say, like, if knowledge was publicly available. So technically, if the recruiter knew about the interview, the knowledge is already publicly available. But it's, again, it's like thought police. Who's, who can prove, like, that something was already known? And a lot of these terms and NDAs are, are not legally enforceable. But the more NDAs you sign, the more exposure you have to it. And I already know one person who was sued over an NDA because of some breach or something like that but you know wow. they sued his insurance um so and i mean most of the freelancers i talk to 
they don't sign NDAs. Yeah. Or they, they adjust them. And that's why I do. I adjust the NDAs if they want an NDA. I'll, I'll adjust it normally. But yeah. it's very rare to see a clear NDA. Mm-hmm. Cool. And finally, what is the worst experience you have had as a hiring manager? So hiring someone for your business or another business? Um, well, I'm, I haven't done too much um, in the past few years of hiring. Um, but it's... Uh, so have you never like interviewed anyone, like even been involved in an interview process where, you know, the, as an engineer looking to join, you know, either one of your, your clients or... or a yeah, yeah I've, I've, done, I've done interviews with developers. I've had... Um, uh, have, you, do. have you ever had an experience of like something they said so like maybe it's a question that you've asked and they've just given like a really terrible answer or is yeah, there anything that stands yeah. out yeah for sure yeah well i mean I, and it comes to some some technical questions you either know it or you not or you don't you can't really waffle mm-hmm. through an answer so it's best just to say i don't know if you're in an interview because <laughs> if you try and waffle then it's going to sound worse than if you don't. If you, than if you do know the answer. Yeah. Waffling is just like just say I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sometimes it's okay to say I've forgotten the answer, and you know I, I can remember it if I Google. It. I mean I forget some basic things in JavaScript sometimes. I have to Google it. So that is a very good piece of advice across all industries as well, man. That's the first thing I say as well when I'm interviewing people to join my team. If you don't know something, just tell me, because then we can have a discussion around it, rather than you sit there and try and like bullshit or blag to me. It's a waste of time where it's like, okay, I don't know how to do X, but I really like to learn. It's like, great, cool. We can work with that. But if someone tries to like lie to me, but it's like, oh yeah, I know that, but it doesn't explain it clearly. It's just, it's just annoying. So never try and bullshit something. It's just always better to come clean. Um, well, well, you know, if you have a really strong hand, it's good, a person that's good at mentoring, mm-hmm. like myself, for example, mm-hmm. humble brag. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the truth, man. So I can take a junior developer and hand hold them through certain ways of writing things and their lack of knowledge is sort of bumped up to medium levels because I'm there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I, I had, um, there was a girl and I, I once worked with about five years ago and I basically taught Ember on the fly and taught her things mm-hmm. like that. And there was a guy, another guy at one of the big companies and he was kind of junior guy, but I had them doing my work for me <laughs> and within like one or two weeks later. And so already the company's saving money because it's almost like another version of me cloned. That's happened several times. So, like, yeah. lack of knowledge is not a problem in some interviews. If you have a good mentoring team, mm-hmm. for sure. Cool. That is it. The first thing I'd like to say is thank you so much for for being um, such a great guest, Nikos. Uh, I love our, our conversations. They usually get quite philosophical <laughs> as well. Um, are there any shout outs or anything you'd you'd like to promote before we uh, we finish off? Um, well, it's just like I'm to be honest, I'm pretty disappointed with the track because I meant our CV. It's like people not really that excited at mentoring so i basically i'm going to keep doing talking about the process more but if you want to rec- people to recognize you as a mentor then you know talk to me and i'll help you sign up mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll build a platform around you that's pretty much my main drive right now and that applies across all industries just, as well I, right? your podcast, I think your podcast is brilliant man i'm, I'm i mean you're you're youtubing and before me and you got a great great voice and encourage you to keep the enthusiasm up your trademark way of talking and it's i'm sure this is going to grow big i'm, I'm going to trademark my voice uh, I'm, I'm like hoping to get into voiceovers one day like i want to become like the new mufasa like so when they re-release lion king in like 2060 they'll approach me i think that's my my ultimate ambition maybe if i do my if i get into my audio dramas and stuff i'll maybe have you as one of the <laughs> i would love that man. There, you know like 
well, the, uh, the bad guy or something yeah, like that. I, I would love that. Well, either way, guys, um, Nikos's product, Mental CV, it doesn't. It's not just tech. It's across all industries. Is, is that correct? Yes, all right. Yeah. So if you're good at something, or if you want to become good at something, I'd really recommend checking out the product. Um, I've signed up to it as well. I wouldn't recommend getting mentored by me because I'm a bit of a, a strange one. But either way, there's a, a ton of people that you can learn some some cool shit from. But like I said, that's episode number four all wrapped up. We will be back this time next week as we always are. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, I've been Reese, and goodbye.